Hey y'all, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, the Supreme Court is made up of nine female justices. I dissent is our new life's mantra. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Kate McKinnon vacation together. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? You're grinning at me like the Cheshire Cat. Why not? Well, how goes it? Um, I'm doing great. How are you? I know you were a little nervous about this movie. I was nervous because I feel like you and I get so hyped for stuff. Like we've been really excited about this film for a while. And then you were like, I'm going to see it today. This is my inaugural movie pass run. I'm so excited. And then I just didn't hear anything else. And I was like, oh, no, she hated it. Which would have made me so sad because I loved it, but yeah, I loved it too. Yeah, you were a fan, which is great. Yeah, I just got busy and forgot to text you about it. Okay, well, that's fine, I guess. I guess that's (laughs) okay. Also, we're not technically allowed to talk about movies. Yeah, I set that rule. That was a weird rule, but I feel like it's helped us in the past. I feel like it helped us with Wrinkle in Time. Well, it's good to have like an idea of where somebody's at, I think. Yeah, I was really nervous. And when I saw your husband at his show, um, he came up to me and he's like, have you seen the RGB movie? And I was like, yeah, I have. And he was like, oh, like Aaron's like ranting and raving about it. And I breathed a sigh of relief. It was so good. It was phenomenal. I loved it. I thought it was so well done. And I feel like I wasn't, to be honest, I feel like I had middle of the road expectations. I think this is a big character in history. This is a woman that means a lot to the feminist community. And I think I was a little nervous about how it would go and things like that, but I was pleasantly surprised. I think the flow of the film was really great. You know, we'll talk about some of the nuances of her character and the work she's done and the history. But yeah, I loved it. I I actually think this is like a must-see. You know, I think it's a film that, even historically, like everyone should know who this woman is, you know, to hear about, and we'll get into all of her, you know, struggles and triumph and the work ethic, but yeah, you have to see this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. When I walked out, I was just like, more, 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 more. And we'll get into like, you know, kind of the notes on our advice to Hollywood about this type of thing. But um, I just found myself so not only satisfied, but like inspired, uplifting, just exactly how I wanted to feel in it. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize how starved I was for these narratives and how starved I was for seeing these types of stories, these types of women on screen. Yeah. Um, I also felt like there was something really emotionally, maybe to to your point, like very emotionally gratifying about mm -hmm. it. Like even in the intro, I started tearing up Mm -hmm. and I was like, we're creating so much space for this woman. Like there's no question about her power and her authority, her presence, what she brings to, you know, not only like our community, like as Americans, but just as feminists and the work she's done. I, I think they just did such a beautiful job of it being such like a groundbreaking tribute. Yeah, absolutely. So to give everybody kind of context about (laughs) this film, um, RBG is, of course, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is a Supreme Court justice on the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, And the film is a documentary that's directed by Julie Cohen and Betsy West. um, And it follows 
her entire life story, which I that was the part I was a little bit nervous about going into this, is mm-hmm. like, are we trying to fit way too much into this? But they do a beautiful job of telling the story of her being born in Brooklyn, um, her, her relationship with her mother, getting into Harvard Law School, um, then moving back to New York and can't get hired anywhere as a young lawyer with her husband, um, and then kind of working her way over to Washington, working her way into the Supreme Court, working her way on and still sitting on the bench today at 84 years old, which is absolutely Never have missing a day of work in her life. And diagnosed with cancer twice. twice. It's wow. astounding. Yeah. And she has two children. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's her, like a drop down menu for me. Yeah. I feel like her work ethic re- reminded me a lot of like when you hear about Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and just like the hours and the time. And, you know, they say in the film when she was at Harvard, um, her partner, Marty, was diagnosed with. Do you remember what his condition was? It was the lymphoma, was it not? Perhaps, yeah, I'm like kind Hodgkins. of blanking on the specifics, but basically she would come home, she would do her work, then she would take his and organize his notes, she would get like two hours of sleep, then she'd be up with the babies. I mean, they said that that kind of, that period of her life really defined her work ethic of just knowing how to plow through it and get it done, which is something that she continues today. Like she says, you know, she still only gets like a couple of hours of sleep, she's still working super late at night. It's pretty insane the amount of energy that she brings to her work I thought was super inspiring. Absolutely. I think, you know, they talk about her being um, one of two or three other women at Harvard Law nine. School. So there were nine, nine out of 500. Um, when, which when you think about, like, just being a woman in that space and the stakes of being there and then being at the top of her class in that, it, it just it's mind boggling the power of this woman at such a crazy age. Yeah. And so I think about, you know, what it takes first and foremost to go through law school. Then I think about what it takes to go through law school is one of nine out of 500 people. Especially when they said, like, professors are not calling on you. Right. Like, they didn't think the women could even handle. She couldn't go to the library. Oh, they wouldn't God. let her into a room in the library for one of to look up one of the references that she needed for a case study because she was a woman. Yeah. And so. And then you, so you're hearing all of this about her experiences at Harvard. And then you remember she's a mother yes. and she's raising children in yeah, this. Yeah, she, ha- she had a 14 month old as she was going through law school. And it was so interesting because she said, you know, she'd be at the library till like, you know, four and then she'd come back. And then from, you know, five on, she was a housewife and she took care of the house and she took care of the kids. And it, it's interesting because it kind of reminded me of the way people can kind of, and I, I've heard this my entire life that what, mothers are like the most productive people in society because they know how to compartmentalize their time. And if they're working on something, they're working on it. They're super present. So, I mean, we saw that in, in her experience for sure. Yeah, there's like this quote that is like, if you want to get if you want to get something done, ask a busy mother to do it because they're just the best at exactly as you said, figuring out how to manage time, figuring out how to go through their entire, entire to-do list with an uphill battle. And I fully felt that in this film. I think they did such a great job of showing the work ethic, showing the dedication, and showing just the genius searing intellect that she has for law. I was so inspired by that. At one point in the film, they talk about the women's movement. um, And can we just give a minute to Gloria Steinem? When she came on screen, I was like, oh, good Gloria's here. I know. I was like, relief. Oh, my God. Um, but Can so, I also tell you about another cameo that really got me verklempt? I think I already know who it's going to be, but yes. Do you? Do you, should I guess? Yeah, sure. Bella Abzug? 
No, although it was fun to okay. see her. Who? Obama. Oh, yeah. Well. Oh, my God. <laughs> Obama. To see Obama with his, like, cabinet and there were women around. I was like, oh, my God. What did we have? <laughs> I was, I, I got really emotional seeing him on screen. Yeah. I actually wanted him to be in the movie, but then I was like, this is not even about him. But I, I said just, that, too. I was craving I was his craving energy. A thousand percent. I was craving even just a clip, a soundbite of him saying something about Ruth. Yeah. Because there's that incredible photo of them after he uh, delivers the State of the Union address, which she like famously might have slept through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he comes up to her and he hugs her and she just looks like a little, like, she just looks so small mm-hmm. and he looks so like doting and it's just so lovely. It's a picture on her mantle in her office now, but... Um, I also said that, and Umer said that I was crazy because he's like, why did you need to hear Obama? And I'm like, (laughs) I think we just miss Obama. I just like hearing him talk about anything. I'd like to hear him talk about like a tea kettle. It was was very (laughs) grounding to see him. I was like, wow, like our country wasn't always insane. It just felt like such a glorious time. Totally. Even to see Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, it was like. Yeah, well, Bill Clinton was a bit chaotic, but. (laughs) That's true, I guess. (laughs) Um, Although for him to select her, I guess that's where that's the lens we're looking at of his presidency. Oh my through, god, through her career, and so he, and him telling that great story about how he selected her within the first fifteen minutes of oh, their meeting. I love it. Amazing, nailed it. Um, but so <laughs> in going rewind, back, sorry, rewind. We had to talk about all of the people who make an appearance in this film. Um, so when they're talking about women's liberation and they're talking about the second wave feminist movement. Um, you know, they're showing signs of all the women in the streets protesting, all of the incredible activists who are, you know, raising their voices and talking about the injustices and the inequalities that they're facing. And one of um, the women in the film says, you know, Ruth was not one to like make a sign and go down to the street and mm. like loudly scream and chant and protest. Instead, she like dedicated her entire life to equality before the law and became an advocate as a judge, or sorry, as a lawyer to um, fight for women's rights and fight for minority rights. And I thought that was such a powerful message to women, especially now who are like so overwhelmed and, you know, what can I do? What can I offer? What do I bring to the movement and the challenges we're currently facing that can help move things along? And I thought that was such an amazing thing to say, you know, you may not want to go down and join a march or join a rally, but you do have something to offer and you do have something to lend the feminist movement. And I thought that was just so powerful to see Ruth stepping up to that and stepping into her power in that way. Well, and also to a certain extent, like knowing her strengths, like she is like a pretty reserved person, a very thoughtful, intellectual person. So for her to know, okay, I'm going to use what I've got and this is the way that it's going to manifest and this is how I'm going to make a difference. I think to your point, that's like such a nice nice thing to hear and like a thing we need to remind ourselves too. It doesn't always need to be, you know, I think if you can get down to a protest and you can be physically present, it kind of emotionally charges you in a great way. But if that's not your thing, like figure out what is. Yeah, absolutely. I also love Gloria Steinem saying that before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she did not feel that her rights were protected by the Constitution. I thought that was very interesting. So powerful. Because it literally I gave guess, me chills. I guess, yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. Especially, you know, in the beginning when Ruth takes the the first case and she's, like, explaining, you know, marginalization to this justices of white men. It's, like, pretty... It's pretty wild. 
I also thought it showed in speaking to that she talks about how she basically had to make it like a she was talking to kindergarten kids and she had to bring it down to like a very, very simple level to break down what it means, what privilege means, what access is, what equality is, what institutionalized prejudice and discrimination are. And I loved that she said, you know, I, I really, if I wanted to do my job correctly, I really had to break it down for these guys. And I think that's also a great message in that, like, some people are not going to meet you at a level. You're fighting an uphill battle here. Well, something I found that I was like, okay, you need to, like, really receive and listen to this is, like, also her delivery mm-hmm. and the way she doesn't meet people with anger and mm-hmm. through the frustration and through the, you know, chaos and, you know, having men look down on you. I think, you know, my I'm <laughs> my first reaction is always to, like, burst into flames. Yeah. Um, and, like, what a... What a role model, really, to just say, like, I'm going to stay on the level. I'm going to stay grounded. I mean, it just you can tell, like, her litigation style is so I keep coming back to the word grounded, but it's it's more than that. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like a quiet storm. Yeah. That she brews up. Yes. And because it's she- not to be fucked with. No, like there's a, there's so much power there. It's not even that it's just grounding. It's it's like strength. That she's exuding by like her ability, kind of like in the way Cecile Richard like handled all of those. Um, yeah, I have Cecile Richards written in my notes because they both remind me of the Hillary Clintons, the yeah. Cecile Richards, Ruth Bader Ginsburgs. They all remind me of like the same kind of just dedication mm-hmm. to justice and to reform and to what's right for human rights, for women's rights, minority rights. Um, yeah, her. There's one clip in RBG where she's. One man is like trying to talk about how there's special access or something given to women in most cases. And she's like, please tell me where. Like, she's just like, what are you talking about? Um, but it's so powerful. And it, it did remind me of Cecile Richards testifying in front of Congress. Yeah. Can we talk about my favorite? I was just going to ask my, your fa- favorite. my favorite. Um, I guess theme of the film, because it's like something that is carried through. It was her partnership with Marty Ugh. Ginsburg. Oh, my God. I, there are no words for like how obsessed with this man I am and for him in the 50s to just see her and see her strength and see her power and you know this is something we've talked about before but like Annie Wang says in Dream Girl like your career is is only going to go as far as like basically your partner either enables you or supports you um, it's such a huge decision to have a partner who's going to stand by you and I mean, Marty is like above and beyond a man in the 50s who like reshapes his life for her power, who not only champions her and like moves with her for her job. But then when we hear about the Supreme Court and everyone was like, well, Ruth was never going to like put her name forward. And Marty did. And he's the one campaigning for her. And he's the one like shouting that she's like the smartest woman. in the. I mean, I died. I was like, this man is everything. Mm-hmm. Obsessed. And I love the way that they talk about how he's so funny and he's so quippy. And she's very quiet and very reserved. And so they play off of each other very well. It's like he gets to be kind of the joker and she's just kind of holding, <laughs> holding well, the court. I mean, to be fair, I like she it. definitely plays the straight man, but she's funny too. And she knows how to work room. Yeah. And she knows that that's who she is as like the straight man. Like they, their banter is so great. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Their chemistry together is just absolutely otherworldly. It's such a beautiful way. And I love the way they showcased it in the film is like just this really, really rock solid foundation from which she was able to fly. Yeah. And I think that that is such a, they probably, I'm sure there was a lot of back and forth about how to, how to shape that so that it didn't come across as like, <laughs> we're giving it all to Marty as like the success of yeah. RBG. But they really do a great job of showing how um, his support and his championing of her allowed her to step into her own power. Well, you get the sense that like she was a runaway train. Yeah to a certain extent of what she was capable of and her even not even her ambition, but her just ability to execute. And then he was he just kind of allowed it and created the space for it to continue to thrive and continue to throw to grow. Like even when she, you know, he'll call her at 7 p.m. and say, OK, dinner's ready. And then he'll call at 730 and be like, OK, if you want to come home or like he'll go down to the office and get her like he gave her the space to like make work a priority. Which is incredible. And it got her all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, baby. <laughs> um, what was, did anything about this film surprise you? Like, was anything, I feel like it was pretty, you know, we knew kind of what to expect going in, but was anything kind of off to you? Was anything stand You know, out? I really, I loved hearing historically about the different cases, the kind of landmark cases, because that was something I wasn't familiar with. Um, I knew that she was one of only a few women um, at her law school, and I knew that when she graduated, nobody wanted to hire her. Um, so I really liked listening and hearing more about like the specifics, even hearing like the tapes of her litigating. I will say the only part of the film that I felt like was a bit, um, it was a hard, hard scene to kind of recapture, but were those courtroom scenes. Mm -hmm. I felt like maybe for the first one like that, profile where they like show us an empty room and they do the motion graphic word thing would have been great but they it was a device that they continued to use yeah um which I felt like kind of lessened the drama of it in a way because the room felt empty and the state it just there didn't feel like really high stakes whereas like when you're in that room and it's full of people I would have liked to see them maybe reenact it or something I would have liked to see that maybe done in a different way is really my only critique structurally of kind of the format of the way the film flowed mm -hmm. at the near toward the end when they got to the the really big cases they had her reading part of her yeah litigations and yeah they had yeah her, um as an 84 year old woman like going back and going back to those transcripts but yeah I agree it did those did feel a little bit it felt a little tedious at times to like keep like going back to that way of showcasing it but um yeah I just, I loved, I loved it though. Like I love hearing her voice from the yeah. Supreme Court is so powerful. You know, what's really interesting is the directors only had an hour and 15 minutes with Ruth to do the formal interview. Oh my God. So although they were given a lot of access to her and like, you know, shot her doing the speaking events and things like that, they really made sure they're like, okay, well, if she says a story on stage, we're not going to ask her about it. We only have an hour and 15 and they wanted to show her like the pop culture references and stuff like that, which she, you know, wasn't like Googling or looking into, um, which I thought was crazy to hear that they only had such a short amount of time to really get really the bulk of her, her entire interview, basically. Yeah, that's incredible. Which was really well done. Oh, she looked so gorgeous on screen. What she was wearing was so good. She what looks about, like royalty. What about her workout scene? The workout scene was great just because she's 84. Yeah, they um 
the guy who runs the workout or trainer or whatever was like, why are you guys getting this? Like, what's the point of this scene? And it was like, how can you not get it? <laughs> I feel like that's one of my regrets for dream girls not getting Clara, like teaching an aerobics, water aerobics class in Harlem. I'm sorry, some- Clara teaches water <laughs> yeah. aerobics in Harlem? Occasion- if the teacher doesn't show up, they're just like, Clara, can you do it? <gasps> is can that hysterical? Go? Oh my God, that's amazing. That is phenomenal. Um, one of the things I didn't know before going into this film that the documentary taught me was how she has shifted um, on her viewpoints and her stances. Oh, based on the other justices. Right, yeah. So when she was yeah. first appointed to the bench by Bill Clinton, she was kind of in the middle between liberal and conservative. She occupied kind of a middle seat. And when George W. Bush elected two um, Supreme Court justices and two other justices left, obviously, um, it pushed her more toward the liberal side. And that's where you get you know, the RBG that we know and love today, where it's like, I dissent, I, I dissent, dissent, I dissent, dissent, I dissent. Oh, my gosh. Um, and she wears her beautiful collars. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. The collars were everything. But um, that's something I didn't know. And that's that's something I really appreciated them explaining was kind of how she became this icon for resistance. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. You know, we're in an interesting time. And I guess you're, you know, your work and your demeanor and your culture is so influenced by, you know, where you're at and who you're surrounded with, especially if she has, you know, people who are kind of so polar opposite of her viewpoints. For sure. I thought it was interesting that they talked about, um, which I didn't really know happened publicly, but how she um, basically came out and said she, you know, disagrees with Trump and you know, doesn't support him. And then she got all that backlash Mm -hmm. because she's supposed to kind of be this, you know, I guess beacon of, you know, having like a more neutral opinion. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts? Did you have any thoughts about that? I like that they included it in the documentary because it kind of, I mean, this was such, this was a documentary that preached to the choir. Yeah. It's totally worth, I mean, that doesn't take away from its value whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but um, you're already banking that the audience is with you on this. Yeah. Um, it's not here to convince, it's not here to do anything but just celebrate the life of this incredible woman. So I liked them including that because I think it shows the stakes of your role. Mm -hmm. I think it shows that as an 84-year-old woman, she's occupying a position that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with this. She's not, she doesn't just hold that seat because she's adorable and we love her. This is like a very- Powerful position. Solemn and it's sincere and it's like you are a judge. You are, by definition, supposed to be extremely nonpartisan and judge everything objectively. So I thought it did a good job of showing the stakes of the role that she occupies. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's an interesting conversation to have because, like, I had a uh, a talk yesterday with this guy who um, teaches at an all-boys school, and they're not allowed to have a political opinion. But when hate speech and hate rhetoric come up in the classroom, you know, they have to shut it down. So I think it's interesting we're in a weird time where this administration is so vile mm-hmm. that, I don't know, I thought it was kind of an interesting thought that like, yeah, she's not supposed to have an opinion, but obviously she's going to be on the right side of history. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting, I guess maybe it just shows the humanity of, you know, who she is, not only as, you know, this amazing justice, but as an activist, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost a responsibility to kind of, to draw a line in the sand sometimes, mm-hmm. even if it's unpopular or you know people were saying inappropriate for her to do so yeah I think I think there's also so much pressure for her to retire and step down Mm. and so everyone I mean everyone on the opposition is 
taking any pot shot they can at her to get her to go. Yeah. So I think that's also a part of it. I think that, you know, they talked a little bit about, you know, you're 84 years old. Are you really going to keep holding this office? And she's like, yeah, if I can keep doing the job to the full capacity, then yes, I will be here. And there was one, I forget his name, but he was a judge on the Supreme Court and he held it till 90 years old. So, you know, and she brings him up in the film and she's like, I'm not going anywhere while I can still do the job. Yeah. And I think that that is, I mean, that's so badass in so many ways. Totally. I loved it. I loved her love of music and how they showed her, you know, in the opera and just she seemed so mystified by the music and like to know that she has that escape I thought was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I loved her scenes with her granddaughter and I loved them talking about the law and Marty and I thought we had, they did a really good job job of showing dimensions of this woman, mm-hmm. you know, whose work obviously is, you know, first and foremost you know, at the forefront is the most important in her life. You know, even her kids knew it, even her grandkids knew it. Um, but they gave her a lot of layers, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah, I also loved, we have to just talk about the scene where they show Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> they show the skit of her on Weekly Update and it is so good. She's so, oh my God, she watches it with like the biggest smile on her face. And yeah. like, she's like, well, that's nothing like me, but I love it. <laughs> So cute. I wonder how Kate McKinnon feels. Um, I actually have a little note that um, Justice Ginsburg saw it at Sundance for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, basically the directors recall that the whole experience of watching it was like nothing I've ever had. We were absolutely absolutely just watching her watch it. You could almost see the film reflected in her eyes and she was laughing her head off and she cried at one point. Oh my God. So like what a gift I think even us filmmakers to, who kind of like, they didn't, it wasn't in like a trepidatious way, but in like a, the way that this film kind of came to be was very slow moving. And it seemed like Justice Ginsburg wasn't really sure if they were actually going to do it. And it kind of had a slow build, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what a beautiful moment at the end to really feel like they served this woman, that she's laughing, that she's crying. You know, I mean, that that's as a filmmaker, that's the best you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what a way to celebrate a woman. I mean, they talk in the film like she's really come into fame in the last five, ten years of her life. She's absolutely famous. And that's a time when women that age are invisible. Absolutely. We never talk about them. And and Clara, I mean, with Dreamgirl is another example of this is like, we need to celebrate these women because everyone should know who they are and everyone should know what they have achieved and what they have done for everybody else. Yeah, and even just like thinking about like the historical aspect of being one, you know, one of nine, you know, at Harvard Law School. I mean, it's so crazy. It's, it's, it feels insane to even think about, but it's so cool that we have women who can tell these stories right now and that we can celebrate them and we can create space for them because, you know, there's a lot of history. We've accomplished a lot in a short time. Yeah. We still have a lot to do, but glad <laughs> we're honoring the women that have really fought for us to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I think just what, and this is also, I know we're going to do an episode about Cecile Richards' book, but I think what these stories show me is like, and I've talked about this with Dream Girl as well, is I think it showed me that like what I care about and what like fires me up isn't frivolous or mm-hmm. unimportant or imaginary, you know, feminism and the rights of women and the rights of minorities and the rights, human rights are extremely important. And there are people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg who have dedicated their lives to it. And I think that that is something that felt so validating for me in leaving the theater after this movie was like, wow, okay, maybe like, (laughs) 
I shouldn't downplay that. Like maybe that's something I need to step into every single day because if she can get up and do it for 84 years, I feel like wow, we all need to be getting up and doing it. And so that's how I felt watching Gloria on screen. Um, just everybody who was interviewed for this film, it really was like, we have to keep fighting. We have to keep, we can't take anything for granted. Mm. And it really validated the little activist in me. I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Any other thoughts about the RBG? I mean, I feel like we really, we ran through the gamut here of of all the amazing moments and stories. Yeah, I think that's... Um... Oh, I will say, there's a biopic coming out about RBG at the end of this year called On the Basis of Sex that stars Justin Theroux, Felicity Jones, and Army Hammer. Felicity Jones, obviously, is playing Ruth. Army Hammer is playing Marty. For some reason, I thought Natalie Portman was going to play her. Did I make that up? I think she was attached to it for a while. Okay. But such has changed. Okay. But I'm excited to see that. I'd like to see 10 more movies about this woman, so bring it on. I would love to see 10 more movies about all of the women who have been fighting the good fight for, like, decades. Yeah. I mean, Gloria. We still don't have a Gloria movie. Bella Abzug. We still don't have a Bella Abzug movie. Angela Davis. Like, hi. Rosa Parks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. It drives me crazy. We should just have a running list. (laughs) (laughs) We should make the activists. We should make, like, all of them for PBS or something. Yeah, let's do it. I'm down. But, yeah, we need more. More, 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 more. For sure. Oh, my God. Cool. Well, I guess it's time to say Happy Feminist Wednesday to everyone. Um, If you guys have any, want us to review anything, check anything out. Don't forget to email us at beavertalkpodcast at gmail.com. I'm dying to give you unsolicited advice about your life. And um, thanks so much to the Atlantic Transmission Podcast Network. And of course, Kent for spending his weekend with us recording. Happy Feminist Wednesday, Aaron. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The The Bitch Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!